Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 917 of the Lawton Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. We will get to the game and the normal production and all of that momentarily. But first, I wanted to open the podcast on a somber note tonight, unfortunately, and that a good friend of mine and a great friend of the NBA world, Seku Smith, passed away today. Seku was, of course, I would say famously in the Atlanta area, the beat writer for the Hawks for the AJC back when I was in college in the early 2000s. I, uh, I, would, I would count him as one of my biggest influences as someone who I read you know sort of everything that he everything he wrote quite frankly as I was just starting to lean into some sports writing tendencies uh, learning from Seku and uh, appreciating his work he left to go to NBA.com where he was uh, from from that point forward speaking on NBA TV and working for Turner uh, living in Atlanta and in the last several years you know five seven years uh, I would say that I could count Seku as a friend we spent a lot of time together uh, mostly at State Farm Arena and previous to that Phillips Arena, uh, talking about the NBA. And also we bonded over a shared love of Michigan sports. Seku was a Michigan man like I am, uh, basketball, football, and all of that stuff. And uh, without getting too deep in here, as I would probably not be able to get the words out, um, I was devastated to hear the loss. Uh, Thoughts and prayers are with his family and his friends. And I think you probably saw this if you were on the internet at all on Tuesday evening. There was an outpouring from those in the basketball media. Seku was a fantastic individual. Um, not that we were the absolute best of friends, but I spent enough time together to, with him to know uh, the kind of heart that he had. He was always uh, a joyous individual, someone who uh, brought laughs and brought candor and brought you know real insight and just a, a warm heart and all that. So I could go on forever about Seku, but uh, truly a devastating day for uh, those who knew him. And if you didn't, I can tell you, I can tell, I can tell you that uh, we all loved him and appreciated him. So. Thoughts and prayers for his family and all affected, and uh, we'll get to the podcast at this point, but I wanted to open up with that because it was on my heart this evening. All right, now we will turn after this break to hear the intro to the game between the Hawks and Clippers. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Thank you, as always, for joining me. As I said earlier, before the intro music arrived on this podcast, definitely a somber day, but here we are. Talk about the game itself. The Hawks get the win by a final score of 108-99. to There was some injury drama that we'll start with here at the top. The Clippers were without Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and Patrick Beverly in this game. Now, that in the NBA, nothing's easy, and you can't assume a win ever, but that does obviously play a part here. The Clippers were not, the, were not their normal selves in this spot, and as a result, the Hawks were favored by five and a half points at tip-off, according to our friends at BetOnline.ag. Atlanta did have their own injury issues with Cam Reddish missing this game uh, with, with Achilles tightness, but uh, all three guys who were listed as questionable earlier in the day on Tuesday, and that is Troy Young, Clint Capella, and Danilo Gallinari, all those guys played And we'll come back to those guys later on. So I guess uh, overall, it was a pretty positive injury day for the Hawks, uh, as long as Reddish is not out for a long time. And Pierce said he was testing it, so I'm I'm assuming it's not like a long-term injury for Cam Reddish. But that was the stage being set there. The Hawks ended up covering, of course, in this game, but it was not easy. This is definitely a hotly contested game throughout. And I thought the Clippers actually played pretty well, too. So credit to them for battling without their best players in this spot. At any rate, we'll dive into the top of the game here. And it was pretty ugly at times, especially in the first quarter, but really the entire first half for Atlanta. The office was pretty pretty shaky. They had some pretty decent looks, I thought, in the early going, but the Hawks opened 2 of 11 from the floor. 
it did stabilize to some level. The Hawks went to their rota- went through the rotation pretty quickly in the first quarter. And by the way, the Hawks basically played ten guys, but it was ironic. The first sub, um, the first subs were Solomon Hill for Capella, and then Tony Snell came in for DeAndre Hunter. And Tony Snell only played that one stretch in the entire game. He played three minutes. And that was it for Tony Snell. Then they brought in actually a Rondo Goodwin partnership at the same time late in the first quarter, which I did not love. I understand right now the Hawks are pretty shorthanded without Bogdanovich and Dunn, so Goodwin's kind of like the de facto backup shooting guard at the moment. But I, I would definitely not like to see much Rondo and Goodwin together if possible. I did not love that arrangement whatsoever. Alas, um, they actually did have Gallinari in there alongside them, which probably helps things a little bit to, uh, as a sort of a concession. But alas, there wasn't too much to talk about, honestly, in the first quarter, other than it was pretty broadly ugly for Atlanta. There was a nice pull-up jumper by Rondo, the, probably the, the biggest play of the game by Rondo, actually, uh, on a jump shot on the final trip of the first quarter to give the Hawks a 22-21 lead. Both teams shot 9 of 24 from the floor in the first quarter, well below a point, a point per possession for both sides. Um, Capella was the big story. Statistically, he had nine rebounds in the first quarter as he continues to just dominate on the glass. But the second quarter was more eventful, uh, not necessarily in a great way for Atlanta. The Clippers took the lead uh, after starting pretty hot in the second quarter. Then Trey Young came back in the game, and the Hawks picked it up on offense finally. He had a pretty nice, uh, I would say impressive, lob that was caught by Capella on a tough catch and a finish there to tie the game at 30. They came back to Gallinari on the second unit um, for his second stint late in the half with both John Collins and Solomon Hill playing kind of a weird hybrid big, but also kind of small lineup uh, with no with no true center, but also with Solomon Hill at the three. There was a couple of uh, brutal turnovers, one in the backcourt between Capella and Trey Young, sort of on a missed handoff in the backcourt, and then Trey turned it over in the half-court set, and that allowed the Clippers to leave, to leave this game by seven points at one point late in the first half, and it settled with the Hawks down by five at the break. Atlanta's offense was a talking point, and with good reason, in the first half. The Hawks attempted only seven threes, which is their season low for a half in three-point attempts. And a lot of that was, I would say, credit to the Clippers' defense. The Hawks, by the way, only made one of them. They were one of seven from three. L.A. was in this drop coverage defensively, and they were definitely keying in and playing well. They were forcing the Hawks off the line on purpose, and the Hawks were missing a ton of floater range shots that the Clippers were kind of giving them. Now, they were all makeable, or at least a lot of them were makeable for the Hawks, and eventually, you know, that's not the greatest defensive mindset in the world if you're going to allow a bunch of wide open floaters, but they were contesting them, and the Hawks kind of played played right into their hands to some degree on that as well. But again, I want to clear the clip. The Clippers played very well defensively in the first half, that's worth saying, but the Hawks did miss a bunch of open shots. So, cleaning the glass, which I reference every once in a while on the podcast, had this uh, as the Hawks shooting about 21% on short mid-range shots in the first half. That is a ghastly figure on those looks. Um, those, by the way, are within 4 to 14 feet from the rim. So that kind of short area, but it's not necessarily at the rim shots. And that's kind of the floater range is the way that we often talk about that range. And the Hawks just missed a ton of those. It was Trey Young, it was Kevin Herter. Everybody missed in that range in the first half. And the Hawks also also shot sub 60% from the from the floor at um, at the rim, which might sound good. I think it was 58%. That might sound good, but it's not. At the rim, you want to shoot in the 60s or maybe even 70s. Um, at the rim, that was not going to be able to get it done in this game. So, in addition to not making, not taking threes, I should say, they didn't make those mid-range shots, and that and that combination is pretty rough, especially when you only have six assists and ten turnovers in the first half. So that allowed Atlanta to have a sub ninety offensive rating in the first half, and the Clippers didn't play well on offense either, which again is a credit to the Hawks' defense, but it was pretty ugly in a lot of ways. So you go into the halftime break down five. 
And against this Clipper team shorthanded, that was a disappointing result to be sure. Now we'll have much more in the second half of the game and individual takeaways in a second. But first, a word from our sponsors on the podcast. And I want to talk to you about the good folks at betonline.ag. The NFL season is coming to a close in the near future, but the biggest game of all is still to come. And with that in mind, there's only one place that has you covered, one place that we trust, and that place is betonline.ag. You can sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use the promo code LOCKEDON for 50% welcome bonus with the site. If you're listening to this show, you will undoubtedly know that the NBA is now in full swing. On top of that, basketball fans may also be interested in jam-packed college basketball slates virtually every night of the week. And from there, the matchup for all the marbles in the NFL is now set. And there are other sports also worthy of your attention, from hockey to soccer to MMA and baseball is coming soon. If none of that gets you going, there's a full menu of offerings from BetOnline on any sport you can think of. And BetOnline also has a huge menu of player props as well as live wagering options, future bets, alternate lines, and much, much more. Do not sit on the sidelines anymore. Instead, get in on the action. Don't forget to use the promo code Locked On to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. One more time, that is promo code Locked On for a 50% welcome bonus with BetOnline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. So obviously, the third quarter of this game was the biggest swing in Atlanta's favor. They won the quarter 33 to 22, and that was where they actually kind of won this game, in my mind. Um, out of the break, it was a good first trip with John Collins getting double teamed and fighting Clint Capella for a dunk. It was an 8-4 overall start on three dunks and a floater for Atlanta, and that prompted a timeout by the Clippers in the early going. There was a bad turn by, by Kevin Herter um, right after that stretch, but the Hawks had an absolutely outstanding defensive possession with multiple rotations. DeAndre Hunter flying around, Capella, Collins, and then Capella blocked the shot at the rim. That led to a layup and under the floor. Boss got another stop, and then DeAndre Hunter hit a corner three for the lead. So all of that happened. It was a 15-7 run by the Hawks to open the, to open the second open the second half. It was a 7-0 run, sort of a mini run in, as part of that. And from that point forward, the Hawks led the rest of the way, essentially. The Clippers did reclaim the lead, for, I, believe, I believe, by one point at one point in the third quarter, but it was basically just all Hawks from that point on, and it was a good way to sort of send a message at the outset of the third quarter. Um, they played Gallinari and Hill together at the six-minute mark of the second half as the first subs, but um, sort of sort of standard rotation for the most part. There was another 13 to five run by Atlanta, taking their largest lead of the game at that point at 71-64 late in the third. Um, they used some Goodwin and Trey lineups late in the third quarter. That was actually useful, as I said before. Goodwin's kind of the backup back, the backup two right now, and they used him that way. Uh, there was a funny moment that was kind of shades of Mario West. If you are a Hawks fan for a long time, uh, you might remember that in the Mike Woodson era, in the Larry Drew era, that kind of back back in the day, Mario West was a Georgia Tech guard, but he famously was kind of a defense-only sub that the Hawks would use at the end of quarters, end of halves. And the Hawks used Skylar Mays in that role for 10 seconds at the end of the third quarter. It did not go well. Skylar came in and fouled Lou Williams. Uh, Lou got very crafty on, on the rookie, Skylar Mays, and uh, drew, drew a foul. I didn't have a huge issue with them going to Skylar Mays there, but it was kind of a brutal uh, situation where I get I get the theory you're trying to save uh, your other guys. Uh, obviously, you, tr- you know Trey was probably gassed at that point in time. You're trying to save him some minutes and some wear and tear, and it should be defense only, so it wasn't going to be a huge problem. But that's the problem with putting in a, a, an ice-cold rookie there is that you get Lou Waves in an ISO, Lou's going to make you look silly, and he did that, and that was kind of an interesting swing there. But overall, the third quarter was positive, as I said before, for the Hawks. Trey Young was great. He had 14 points in the third. And the Hawks, as a team, shot 12 of 18 from the floor, 4 of 6 from 3, and 4 of 4 from the line. So it was a lights-out quarter, especially when compared to the first half. It was night and day efficiency-wise, and the Hawks just kind of played more with more crispness 
and finished actually just made some of their floaters as well which is very helpful and uh, a much more positive display there now the fourth quarter there was one little flicker from the clippers out of the fourth quarter start they had Trey on the bench because Trey had played 30 minutes. He couldn't, he couldn't play the entire rest of the way, so they had to start, they had to start him on the bench. And actually, after the game, Lloyd Pierce revealed that the plan was to have Rondo start the fourth quarter, but Rondo was in the back. Rondo had had turned had turned his ankle pretty pretty visibly on the broadcast, and he had gone to the back to change his shoes, apparently is the way that Lloyd described that, after the game. And he wasn't there to put him in at the start of the fourth quarter. So they went with Goodwin, Herter, Hill, Collins, and Capella to open the fourth. That did not work at least out of the gate. It was a 6-0 run by the Clippers to tie the game, and the Hawks called timeout. That was, the t- that was the last time it was tied the entire way. But out of that timeout, Kevin Herter, who had been pretty bad, honestly, the word brutal is I used too much probably, he was brutal in the first three quarters of this game. Um, Kevin, I, I-, I even was uh, reverse jinxing, I guess, on Twitter. I-, I mentioned that he, coming into the fourth quarter, I believe he was 5 of 23 in the last two and a half games or so. He was 0-4, sorry, 0 of 5 from the floor in this game with a couple turnovers that had not scored a point as the fourth quarter arrived. But out of that timeout, Herter hits back-to-back threes to put the Hawks back in front. Then he had a, a very good cut to the to the rim, a nice pass by John Collins to find him for a layup. So Herter had eight straight points after not scoring the entire game. He had the first eight points of the fourth quarter for Atlanta. And then after a DeAndre Hunter layup in transition, the Hawks led by seven, and that prompted a timeout by the Clippers with about eight minutes to go. So... That was a huge stretch. It was not the only one that won the game, but obviously Herder was much better in the fourth. We'll come back to him later on, but he was awesome in the fourth quarter after a bad, after a bad, bad night before that. Defensively, the Hawks played very well, I thought, in the fourth, and really the entire game, with some rim protection stuff from Collins and Capella in particular. A career high, by the way, for John Collins and block shots that we'll come back to later on in the game. Um, but it was a lead that was not ever super safe. The Hawks led by like five or seven or six or eight for most of the fourth quarter. There was a floater by Trey Young to go up by seven with four minutes to go. He rolled his ankle on the landing, um, and he got looked up by a trainer throughout the break there. He stayed in the game, but was not necessarily uh, moving as gingerly as you, I'm sorry, as well. He was moving a little bit gingerly, um, but he seemed to be fine after the game. But um, you get a Kennard missed jump shot for the Clippers, and Trey gets fouled on a three. He makes all three of them to go up by 10 with 347 to go. It should be kind of over at that point in time. And then it was 11 again after a three by Hunter. They were kind of hanging around, kind of hanging around. The Clippers were. And then Trey Young hits a 32-foot bomb to go up 11 with 2.03 to go. That prompted a timeout by the Clippers. Trey uh, actually made a 2-4 gesture after the shot as a Kobe Bryant tribute on the one-year anniversary of his passing. Um, And that was... Felt like the biggest moment of the game at that point in time. It was kind of a dagger. I even sort of posited that on the Peachtree Hoops Twitter account. But actually, it got a little bit interesting after that. Uh, In retrospect, it was over. But after the timeout, Clippers Clippers come down and hit a three, cut it to eight. Then the Hawks don't score. And then Reggie Jackson has a three-point play to cut it to 101-96 with about a minute 10 to go. So up five, you're still in great shape there with the ball. But it was not over. Five-point game there, it's it's a long way from over. But... um, Trey found Herter on the next position for another big shot there. He had his third three at the half to go up um, back back eight again, and that was kind of the end of that. They stayed with the Stars for most of crunch time, but there was some good offense-defense subs. They, they brought in Gallinari for offense to avoid Capella getting fouled or also using Gallinari's passing ability as an inbounds passer. That was a wise choice by Pierce, I thought, at the end of the game. But once it got to five... Um, that big three by Herder kind of put the game back away. I think the dagger was probably still the tray shot, but it did become a little bit interesting after that 
on the way to the 108 to 99 final score. So I would say a lot to get into there. Um, sort of a tale of two halves in some respects. The Hawks did dominate the second half. Obviously, they, they went into the halftime breakdown five, won, won this game by nine, so a plus 14 in the second half, and they scored 65 points after halftime after struggling mightily offensively before the halftime break. For the game, the Hawks actually managed to post a solid offensive rating. They actually scored 1.13 points per possession in this game, which is above average for them. Um, and again, given the first half, that's pretty impressive. And then defensively, they held the Clippers to 1.04 points per possession. Now, again, this is where I have to point out again, the Clippers didn't have too much firepower in this spot. The Hawks played pretty good, pretty good defense, especially near the rim, and that was favorable. So offensively, Atlanta posted a 50, 58% true shooting. They got to the line 27 times, made 24 of them. A lot of that was Trey Young, who was 11 of 11. That's always what you want to see there. The Hawks didn't have a ton of assists, but offensive rebounding, they did a pretty good job. Um, managed turnovers and after the halftime break. They had 10 turnovers at the half, only 14 in the game, so only four in the second half. That's a very, very positive figure there. And, you know, just kind of making the right play for most of the time. If they had shot decently on floaters in the first half, they would have posted a pretty obscene rating, I would say, offensively in this game. But they did their job. And then defensively, they held the Clippers to 26 three-point attempts. That's probably good against a, a, a small team. That's the way the Clippers were playing for a lot of this game and relying on the three-point shooting. Um, they protected the defensive glass at a decent level. They, uh, you know, didn't get burned by anything much. So a solid effort across the board by Atlanta. You know, I used the point spread to sort of characterize the expectations for the games. But the Hawks winning by nine is a pretty solid, not like incredible result in this game. But... They covered, and that's usually a good sign to tell you how well the team played for the most part. So Atlanta did play well, and we'll come back to the individual portion of the podcast momentarily. But first, a word from our sponsors, and the first one is rockauto.com. With more makes and models than ever, it's now impossible to stock all the auto parts that you need in a traditional chain storefront. Why would you endure questioning from a counter person that's often totally pointless, especially when they were only going to give you the parts or the brands that the warehouse happens to carry? Instead, you have rockauto.com, either at home or in your pocket, and that is the best possible option. Rockauto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. You can go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything you need from engine control modules and brake pads to tail lamps, motor oil, and even carpet. Whether it's for your classic car or your daily driver, get everything you need just a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always super low and the same for pros and do-yourselfers, so why spend up to twice as much for the exact same parts? Go to rockauto.com and see all the parts available for your car or your truck, and from there you want to write locked on in their how-did-you-hear-about-us box so they know that we sent you to them. Amazing selection, reliable low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. Today's podcast is also sponsored by the good folks at Built Bar. I've been telling you for a long time that Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever, and that is still very much the case. But also, the new and improved Built Bar is even more delicious. The original flavors are fantastic, and they continue to be so. But now, there are 18 amazing flavors to choose from, including new selections like caramel brownie, lemon almond cheesecake, and, a, and of course, my personal favorite, and cookies and cream. Each bar is covered in 100% chocolate, and they're all soft and easy to chew, which is also very important to point out. And from there, I should remind you that Built Bar is also fantastic. For those of us trying to be health conscious, you can maintain or even lose weight while still enjoying something that's absolutely delicious. Bars are low calorie, high protein, low sugar, and high fiber. 
And Built Bar is even great if you're on the keto diet with all the nutrients you need. And again, a taste that puts other competitors in the space to absolute shame. In order to check it all out, BuiltBar.com is the place to go. Yes, it's BuiltBar.com right now and use the promo code LOCKEDON when you get there. When you visit BuiltBar.com and use that promo code, you'll get 20% off your next order with Built Bar. One more time, that is BuiltBar.com, promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off your next order. Check it all out at BuiltBar.com and try Built Bar today. All right, so we'll wrap up the podcast today with some individual breakdowns as well as some news at the end of the show. Um, as I said before, the Hawks played essentially a nine-man rotation for a lot of this game. It was eight in the second half. They did play 10 guys, actually 11 guys if you count Skyler Mays um, overall. Um, Tony Snell, three minutes, pretty much a non-factor. Didn't, didn't have an assist there. Skyler Mays, the one play that he had was not great. Um, Rondo played six minutes in the first half. Did have two points. It was that pull-up jumper at the end of the first quarter. Had a steal. Two turnovers, though, and defensively was kind of a sieve at times, so not a, not a whole lot going on there. But the three guys that played more minutes, like actual real minutes, off the bench, I thought Goodwin was awesome in this game. Seven points, three rebounds, two assists, was plus six. Um, two or three from the floor, two or two from the free throw line. Made a big three in the second half. His defense was very good on Lou Williams, I thought. I think Brandon has been playing well all season long, but they needed him in this game. He was a spark plug, especially defensively, that they absolutely needed. And his uh, his energy level, pushing the ball pushing the ball up down the floor, is helpful with Trey off the court. And like I said, it's not ideal to use him as a backup two, but they kind of have to right now in some respects until they can get Snell more caught up, essentially, or maybe get, obviously, Bogdanovich or Dunback. But um, he played well in that role in this game, and credit to him for playing very well. And then Gallinari and Hill were both very quiet in the spot. Solomon Hill with 23 minutes. He was sort of he was sort of the backup three at times as well in this game. Uh, did have three assists, four rebounds, and two steals. Did not score. It was 0 2 from three. Those were his only shot attempts. And then Gallinari, 14 minutes of play. They're not necessarily using him a lot just yet. Um, two points and a rebound and three turnovers for Gallinari. He did not really have his mojo working in this spot offensively. Last thing I want to say, oh, and by the way, the thing about Gallinari is that it's back to back, so I'm sure they would have probably liked to use him a little bit less in this game, and they did that here. I'll be interested to see if he's available tomorrow. We will not have the injury report until Wednesday afternoon, so keep an eye on that on my Twitter feed, etc. Last thing on the on the rotation, Akongwu did not play in this game. Now, there was no talk about that expressly from Pierce, either before or after. It is a back-to-back, and I wonder if that played a small part. That's me guessing. I have no idea if that's true. Or they could have just thought that it was not a, a good matchup for him. Now, when the Clippers were playing Zubac... That was tough. They had to go back to Capella because Zubac is huge and good. And he played 18 minutes, though. But everybody else, you know, when they were not playing Zubac, it was basically they were extremely small. Like, Abaka is a center, but he's not a huge physical presence in terms of, like, being seven feet. He's, like, six nine, And because of that matchup stuff, I could see why they maybe didn't want to go to a Kongu in this game. Maybe they thought they were better off with Hill and playing a little bit smaller. And obviously, Capella and Collins played a ton of minutes, 35 each in this contest, which helps as well. I would have probably used Capella, uh, I mean, sorry, Okongwu at some point, but I think the plan, again, might have been, I'm guessing here, to not play him back-to-back games because he's not necessarily all, all up to speed now. We'll see that. We'll see on Gallo as well, but um, maybe you use Gallo tonight and then Okongwu tomorrow. I'm not sure if it's that easy, but we'll see what they do on Wednesday, and I wanted to address that. People were asking me. That's a guess. Otherwise, I mean, it could have been a coach's decision. That's 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 defensible. Again, you want to use a Kongwu and develop him, but you could certainly make an argument right now that he's not one of your best eight players. So I get it. Uh, we'll see what happens on Wednesday. That might that might inform things if Gallinari doesn't play and a Kongwu does. Um, to the starters, 
in this game. All five stars played 35 minutes or more, and they needed to win this game. They treated it as such, but it's a back-to-back, so we'll see if they uh, sort of pay for that tomorrow in the second half, potentially, on Wednesday. We'll start with Herter, who, again, was pretty awful for three quarters, but then had 13 points on 5 of 5 shooting on 3 of 3 from 3 in the fourth quarter. So he made up for all of that down the stretch, woke himself up. I think defensively he was you know, pretty like jarringly bad in the first half or so, getting run through, just not playing with a ton of physicality. But once he woke up, you can see the confidence come on with Kevin. I, I, I've, I think he's played well all season long for the most part. It was a rough one until the fourth, but he found it and made a bunch of big plays for Atlanta in the fourth quarter. John Collins, 11 points, 11 rebounds, and a career-high five blocks. Didn't have his shooting going. He was one of the culprits of all the misses in the first half in that short to medium range. He was 4 of 12 from the floor in this contest, and a bunch of those were makeable for him. So sometimes you just had those nights, and he was still effective with the 11 rebounds, the 5 blocks, good defense. Had 5 fouls as well, so managed to uh, play with physicality without having to get, sort of get benched along the way. So a positive night, I think, overall, even if he didn't have his shot going necessarily. Um, Click Capella, another big night, 13 points, 19 rebounds, 2 steals, and 2 blocks in 35 minutes. Um, is For the first time since, since Batumbo for the Hawks, by the way, uh, 15 rebounds in at least five straight games for Capella, and he had 19 again here. His rebounding is just kind of off the charts, but he wasn't quite as dominant in this game as he has been in the last couple before this, but he still played very well and made a big impact when he was on the floor. Gilderay Hunter, 22 points, four assists, three rebounds, a steal, and a block in 36 minutes. He was efficient, got to the, got to the line six times, made all six. Um, by the way, Trey Young and DeAndre Hunter combined 17 of 17 from the free throw line. That's very helpful in a close game, but another just solid very good night from DeAndre Hunter. He keeps being this kind of um, you know plug-and-play guy who's just been he's been exceptional all season long. I'm not, I'm not breaking any ground there to say that, but there are plenty of stories written about him, including one by uh, by Joel Lorenzi at PeachtreeHoops.com. I know Chris Kirscher wrote about him. Everyone's writing about him because he's been really good. So he's earned all of that, and DeAndre, another good night here for him as the number two scoring option in this game. And then finally, Trey Young, who had 26 points in the second half. Um, he had 38 in the game, four assists, a steal, three rebounds. It was plus 11, which is the game high for anyone, and he definitely earned that. 12 of 23 from the floor, 3 of 7 from 3, 11 of 11 from the free throw line. Um, you know, After the struggles that he had by his standards, he's now been pretty much lights out the last three games. So uh, three, four games, something like that. He's been awesome lately. So... It wasn't his absolute best in the first half, nor was it for anybody on offense. But once he found his little floater game that he's been struggling with this season, three-pointer sort of opened up. He had a couple deep ones and then got to the line at will in the second half. So another strong effort from Trey to lead the offense. Again, all told, a solid performance from Atlanta. It was frustrating in the first half at times, but they get the win here. And honestly, you know, three months from now, will I remember that they played against the Kawhi-less Clippers? Probably, but a lot of people will not. And Atlanta is now nine and eight on the season, so they're by five, above five hundred for the first time in a while, and uh, five and three at home. So taking care of business as they as they often will this season. But a, a test tomorrow that we'll come back to at the end of the podcast. Okay, last thing on the show today. There was a little bit of news that I want to hit on that actually dropped over the. Uh, I, I guess it was on Monday. Um, Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN reported on Monday that the NBA and the Players Association are quote discussing the possibility end quote of holding the All Star Game in early March, and that Atlanta is a likely site if it happens. Now, so far, there's no All-Star game right now. It was canceled. It was supposed to be in Indianapolis back, um, but because of the pandemic, it was it was canceled. The whole like event side of it, that whole weekend fan stuff, all of that has been canceled. 
ESPN's reporting that it would be a far scaled down version. That's a quote from them if it happens in March. And also in that report from Woj, uh, Chris Paul, who is the president of the Player Association, is a big proponent of the idea. And there's been some discussion about uh, a showcase and a benefit to some HBCUs in Atlanta. Also, State Farm Arena is an option to host the game, but they also could use a smaller campus site at one of the HBCUs locally here. That's definitely uh, at least part of the discussion. And part of the appeal of this is also that Turner, Turner Sports, is housed in Atlanta, and they have broadcast rights to the All-Star game, so they could actually have it without having to travel and all of that stuff. Um, then the AJC, Sarah Spencer of the AJC, reported that a source saying that there is, quote, serious conversation, end quote, about Atlanta as the host site, and Chris Kirchner of The Athletic said that a source confirmed to him that there's been dialogue, but it's still in the early stages. So a lot to get into there. I'm not an expert on any of this stuff, and a lot of, I would say a lot of hoops to jump through between now and then, but it's still only, it's, you know, it's like a month and a half away at this point in time. It would certainly be a, re- a reduced event. It wouldn't have the, the typical fan stuff. It wouldn't be the jam-packed arenas, etc. but the league might want to do that on some level. And ESPN is, is, is definitely reporting uh, ongoing talks, so we'll see what happens there. And the league is going to have the all-star voting either way, so that is going to be coming in the near future, and we will see where that all ends up. Um... Other than that, not too much else to uh, touch on on the podcast. There was a Shams Sharania report on Tuesday afternoon, but it was not really anything revealing. Um, I, I would definitely recommend reading Shams' Inside Pass column, which he posts every once in a while. A lot of good nuggets in there. But today, the Hawks section was essentially that teams are monitoring John Collins in free agency, which, uh, of course, they are. Uh, it was kind of funny to read that. I was trying to figure out what I was missing. I'm thinking... Well, yeah, teams are going to monitor the free agent that's an awesome player. So, yes, I'm not sure what the angle was there, but yes. Now that he cannot sign an extension, he's going to hit free agency. He'll be restricted. The Hawks will have match rights, so nothing really new or interesting to report there. And uh, I'll just tell you now, in case there was any any mystery, there will be teams that try to get John Collins to sign with him. Uh, That's all I got on that. Um... At any rate, the Hawks play on Wednesday. They play the Brooklyn Nets. That'll be very interesting because the Nets are quite good. But we've also seen the Nets um, play the Hawks twice this season. Um, this time around, they will not have they will not have Denwoody, who's out for the season. But as of the injury report that came out earlier this evening for Wednesday's game, for the Nets anyway, um, James Harden, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, not on the injury report. So I'm assuming they will all play, and that will be an interesting test for Atlanta's defense, especially on the perimeter. We will see if Reddish is available to go there, because that that's one thing where if, if Cam cannot play um, just defensively on Wednesday, that's a pretty big challenge, because the Hawks just kind of need more bodies to throw at the three-pronged attack from Brooklyn. The Hawks might be underdogs. I would probably guess they probably will be underdogs in the betting market on Wednesday because they are going to be on a back-to-back where the Nets are not. I know they're at home, but home court advantage is a little bit mitigated this year. So we'll see how that all goes. But I'll be back with a new podcast after the game on Wednesday. So fear not. Please subscribe to the show. Please tell a friend or two or three um, about the podcast as well. And uh, if nothing else, we will see you after the game on Wednesday.